You're listening to the Business Simplified Podcast. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Taria Langham from Langham Digital, and we're talking about creating a nurture sequence for your leads. That is your email follow-up. Now, if you haven't actually got an email sequence follow-up set up, don't panic. Taria is going to give us all of the info on how to do this, the best way to go about it. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode to find out more information about creating email nurture sequences for your leads. So let's get started. Hi, I'm Tracy Leake, and I've been at every stage of small business from struggling through to success. For the last 15 years, I've been coaching small business owners to have more profit with less stress in their business. This podcast is the how for business. So grab a cuppa and let's get started. Welcome to the Business Simplified Podcast. Hey, just before we jump into the interview, I wanted to remind you to make sure you hit subscribe to the Business Simplified Podcast. What that'll do is it'll make sure it keeps the podcast in your library so for quick and easy access, plus you'll get updates, notifications, letting you know when there's a new episode ready for you to listen to. So let's jump into the interview now. So Taria, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What I'd love to do is just start by hearing a little bit about you. Tell us a bit about you and also how you became an expert in email marketing and nurture sequences. Yeah, of course. So thank you so much for having me on. So I um, have about 10 years experience CRM and email. It's so my jam. I'm a written word communicator. I, I just love data and analytics and that kind of thing. So I actually kind of fell into CRM and email, um, email marketing. I'm the product of some really amazing mentors throughout my career. So I've had some incredible people who've seen different natural aptitudes that I had and guided me towards this path. So huge advocate for that. I'll just pop that out there. So I um, was working for a large property developer in 2009. They decided to implement a CRM system, had no idea what it was, but I showed a natural aptitude for things like data relationships um, and setting things up in a way that would give you flexibility in what you might need to do with that information going forward. Um, So I was pushed into a bit more of a project team for that, which was really cool. A natural segue from that was going into email. So I ended up moving into a purely marketing role, managing the email marketing for a large property developer after implementing their CRM system. So off the back of that, I've ended up using what was formerly uh, Exact Target, now known as Salesforce Marketing Cloud, since about 2012. So that that's a system I know inside out and back to front. Um, and the cool thing is I've moved between a couple of different industries who all use the tool quite differently. And each place that I've worked, I've kind of learned a new way of kind of using that data or leveraging that data to, to get what we want out of um, out of our customers and working out better ways to target customers or, or find different opportunities for sales and that kind of thing. I then was pushed by another colleague to kind of formalize my qualifications with a Bachelor of Marketing, um, which I completed a couple of years ago. That took me about seven years working full-time and juggling that. So um, I've been really fortunate. I've had about 10 years of experience and now I've backed that up with formal qualifications. And yeah, product of incredible people that I've worked with in the past and great opportunities. So I'm very fortunate um, to have had great, great leaders in the past. I think we also need to add in there that you're also a mum. So that's pretty impressive to have a, a job you know, doing a marketing degree as well as working, yeah, as well as kids. So just because I know that sometimes people don't get all the jargon, you better explain what a CRM is just for anyone who 
who doesn't quite know what that is? Yeah, so it's a um, CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. So from my perspective, what I've been involved in in the past is implementing databases that can collect that information for people. So that can be as sophisticated as you want. There's some very large CRM database providers out there like HubSpot, Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics, or there's smaller ones like Keep and Infusionsoft. Yeah, there's, there's a whole host of them out there. And those databases are essentially, this is, this is where I get really excited, a good database can be like a virtual PA who works 24-7 for you and costs the cost of a database. That's it. You don't need to hire staff to get your database to work effectively for you. You just need to be really strategic about it. So yeah, big fan of making sure that a business is set up really cleverly from the start or, or at whatever point they join in with creating a CRM system. It's just, it's so, it's just such a no-brainer for a business to have one, to collect their data and their supplier information and be able to leverage that for sales and that kind of thing. I always love talking to people who um, I call a geek out about what they do because it's always great. Yeah, absolutely allowed to be a total geek out on this and, and nerd out on it because that's really important. So when we're talking about a CRM, how do people actually, you know, um, we're, we're going to talk about email nurture sequences, but let's start one step back and go, who are we going to be emailing this stuff to? So how do we get people on that database? Is it just existing customers or do we find prospects? What what sort of people should we be putting onto our CRM system? So that's a really good question. So the kinds of people that you're going to want to have on your CRM system are obviously your customers uh, and your prospective customers. So I would say they're the two number one people that you're going to want to have on there. But a, a database, you know, you can have things like your suppliers on there, um, service providers, all sorts of different things. You can have your inventory management. It depends on how sophisticated you want to go. But the main things that we're going to talk about today are leads. So people that you think might be a, an opportunity that you could market to and your existing customers because they are the cheapest resale opportunity that you have. So the ways that you're going to be able to get leads into your CRM database by using things that you might have heard terms like a lead magnet or a sugar cube or a dangling carrot or those kind of things, which are, you know, ways that you can, we're getting people at the awareness stage. This is where we, we pull our leads from. We're looking for people who are looking to solve a problem, essentially. What we want to do is capture those people at that awareness stage. Um, and so ways that you can do that are by using a lead magnet or a sugar cube dangling that carrot that can help those people go oh, okay this looks like someone that might be able to solve my problem so ways that you might be able to do that by using either like a lead capture page which is just a web a web page on your website that might be offering something like a white paper that they could download around you know like for example mine is around a lot of people don't know what to write an email about so they might um, I've got one that's around here's some content prompts for what to include in your email newsletters. So that's my lead magnet. You might have a white paper, a free download or a worksheet or something like that. You might be running a webinar um, on, on certain topics which might be able to get people to sign up then you capture their email address and the best thing is that once you have that email address, that's your own property. It might be a how-to guide, a discount code, a blog subscription. They might be a customer who's purchased from you so you might be able to nurture that post-purchase um, post lead to a separate purchase again. Um, you might do a product demonstration, consultation, free quote, 
a meeting. There's lots of different ways that you could kind of access that lead. But what you're trying to do is get as much information as you can about that lead. So whether it is, you know, just their first name and email address, you can actually, um, depending on how that lead came in, you can tag them into different ways within your CRM database to actually be able to leverage that information later on, be able to go, okay, that person came in about this white paper that we wrote on, you know, sales funnels. So we know that they're going to be a customer that's for X product, that kind of thing. Whereas you might've had someone who's done a, um, a product demonstration on a particular vacuum cleaner or that kind of thing. So you know that they're interested in cleaning products, that kind of thing. So you might've only captured the email address and the first name or something like that at the actual lead capture form or, or when you've met that person. But there's a whole host of other, I guess you could call it like metadata around the way you caught that lead that you can leverage later on to hit them with information that's really relevant to them. I always say to business owners, it's a bit like the system is putting post-it notes on people to say, oh, you know, they get a pink post-it note for downloading an ebook. They get a yellow post-it note if they've rung to inquire. So you can actually start to tailor what you're sending to that person appropriate to what they're actually interested in. So for the example you gave of the cleaning products, you're actually sending them more information about more cleaning products. And, and I think we've all learned this from you know, the analogy I would use, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like when you go to Amazon and you buy a book and then it suggests more the same, or you go to Netflix and it's actually tailoring it to what sort of movies you like to watch so it shows you more of those. Is that kind of the, the goal of what we want with this sort of CRM system to tag people? 100%. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful segue into the concept of segmentation. Um, so when we're actually talking to these leads later down the line, like like you talk about Netflix, if you logged into my Netflix or I logged into your Netflix, for example, they're going to look totally different. And because that's what we're interested in might be totally different. Same is for every single lead for your business. So every single lead has different um, things that they might be interested in. Um, they might be from a different demographic. They might be different geographically. They might speak a different language. So all of these different like metadata or different circumstances allow us to actually get a bit more strategic about the way we're talking to our leads and um, start to segment the way that we message to them. So things like like working out which of your customers are interested in which of your three products, for example, you're not going to talk to someone who's interested in product three about product one if that's a lower product than what they're interested in. Or, um, you know, it's, it's actually working out how we can use the information that we've got to give the most personalized message that we possibly can to that person that can help push them through that marketing funnel through past the awareness stage to intent and then um, purchase a bit later on. So when we're actually talking about a nurture sequence, we better explain what a nurture sequence is before we start talking about that too. So, so what is a nurture sequence? Um, so a nurture sequence is an automated sequence of targeted and personalized emails that are sent to new leads who have provided um, their details to your brand. Um, and the purpose of that is to kind of build trust and a relationship with your brand because people are more likely to buy something off, they tr of, off someone who they trust. The purpose for us as business owners is to help convert those leads into purchases. So we're, we're pushing them through the marketing funnel by addressing their pain points. And like I mentioned before, it's like a virtual PA. So an automated lead nurture sequence is actually firing as soon as that lead is entered into your system. So regardless of whether, say, someone enters in enters their details into a form on your website 3 a.m., they'll get their welcome email and their need, lead nurture sequence starts from that moment that they're most interested in your brand. You don't need to be awake at 3 o'clock to send them that email. So it's 
yeah, a really, really good way of providing information that guess deals with any of their pain points um, at that point. And I guess the other thing is that um, consumers need anywhere up to around 10 touch points of marketing information to actually go from that awareness to purchase. So um, having a good multi-channel strategy, which includes, you know, social or web or online print, whatever, having that additional touch point of a lead nurture program, which is running humming along in the background, providing those additional touch points to people who have registered interest in your brand. It's there to help do the work for you when you can't physically deliver all those emails for yourself. The benefits of capturing those email addresses, like I mentioned earlier, is that so if Facebook or Twitter or Instagram crash and burnt tomorrow, you're actually retained information that you, you still own your database. So the benefit of building an email database is that you own that data. You can continue to market to those people. I really feel like I shouldn't be talking to you today because I'm just like, oh, my goodness, my email database is terrible and I need to focus on it. So if anyone's listening going, oh, my goodness, I need to get onto this, don't worry, I'm sitting here too. So I like to be extremely open and transparent and say, oh, yeah, I've been a shocker at doing this, but I can see the value in it and it's it's making the time to do it. So give us some hints and tips on how do we actually craft that nurture sequence? Is there sort of like a recipe to how to do it best? What are the essential elements of a nurture sequence? Like you've sort of mentioned the pain points, but is there something that you should do? Like email one should be this and email two should be that? Or, or how, do we, how do we actually work out what to put in that email nurture sequence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess um, I'll start with how you actually craft it. So what I would highly recommend is looking into email marketing software. So I, I myself use MailerLite. It's, it's free. There are a lot out there, particularly for those small business entry level um, categories. So things like MailChimp, MailerLite, um, Infusionsoft Keep, those kind of ones, really good to get you started. Um, scaling all the way up to things like HubSpot and Marketo and Salesforce Marketing Cloud. So depending on your budget, there is an option for you and you don't need to pay through the nose for it. So the first thing is to decide on your goals for your lead nurture program. So I would say the main one for me would be conversions. You want to make sure that your sequence is actually doing its job. Um, and if it's not, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, so I would say one of the first steps is to actually look at your leads and assign them a bit of a buyer persona. So that is working out working out rough groups of people that you could potentially talk to from the data that you have. So say you might have a whole bunch of people interested in vacuum cleaners in Victoria or people who are interested in marketing up in Brisbane or that kind of thing. You know, it can be as, as large or as small as you want. They might be, you know, stay-at-home mums. They might be high-flying executives. Making sure that you've actually worked out, okay, most of our leads can fit into these however many personas. And then off the back of that, you're going to sit down and work out things like the kind of content that you've already got that could address some of the pain points for those particular buyer personas. So that would be looking at things like um, images that you have, blog posts that you have, content that you already have written, links that you've got or downloads, free information sheets, those kind of things. And if you don't have them, start to create those assets. Um, you'd also look at deciding on the length of your need, uh, lead nurture program. So this can differ depending on industry. And it's it's one of those cases where I wish I had a perfect answer for this, but it is a case of however long is, how long is a piece of string. Things like, for example, um, purchasing a fast moving consumer good is going to be a much shorter purchase 
time frame and you might be relying more on things like discount codes and that kind of thing to push people to purchase. Um, whereas things like if you're purchasing a car or a house and land package or something like that, then you'd be looking for a bit more of a longer term strategy to kind of warm that lead up over time because not many people have, you know, dollars $50,000 just sitting in the bank ready to go pop out and buy a car. I wish I did. So things about Think about the average purchase time frame for your for your brand um, and the type of products that you're selling and kind of retrofit your lead nurture program around that. Once you've kind of worked out a length, some buyer, seg buyer personas and segments and um, worked out what content you have, you're going to want to build those emails. So that's just assembling your images and your copy and links into, into the format of the emails that you've kind of chosen. Then you're going to want to test those emails. Don't miss that step because this is where you work out things like links that you've gotten wrong or images or copywriting that's a bit skew if. Then you're going to want to build your automation. So this sounds a bit more tricky than it actually is. A standard automation is a sequence of emails. So it might be things like as soon as someone submits a online form, they might receive the first email is usually a welcome email, which will kind of set expectations around what your brand does, who you are, when you can expect to hear from us, that kind of thing. And then you're going to obviously want to test that automation. But in the automation itself, it's going to be things like immediately send a welcome email, then wait X number of days, send email to X number of days, send email three. Normally, you'll kind of compress that time frame into say, depending on how long it is, but let's say a week, because you got to strike while the iron's hot. Once you've built your automation, you're going to want to launch it, which is really exciting. And then the most critical step after all of this is testing and tweaking. So we need to evaluate whether your um, whether your lead nurture program is actually working as you expected, um, whether it's converting as you expected, what kind of open rates and click-through rates and engagement rates you're getting for that. And you can find lots of different industry-specific kind of benchmarks for that from like HubSpot or MailChimp or Campaign Monitor have a couple of good resources on that. So lots of opportunities there. Um, in terms of essential elements, I would say number one is relevancy. Your content has to be relevant for the people who are coming through your lead nurture pipeline. You need to make sure that you're segmenting your, com uh, your content and you need to have a really strong and clear call to action because a beautiful lead nurture program needs to be very explicit in this is the content that we have to add value to you. Here's what you can do with it. Ready to join us? Here you go. Um, and you you don't want to miss the opportunity of striking while the iron's hot by having an unclear call to action or not having one. And then I'd say another essential element is you're there to add value. You're not there to sit there and chest beat and go, look how good my brand is. You're there to go, here's how I can help you. And I think a lot of brands sometimes tend to forget that it is about how a brand can solve a problem for a customer rather than hard selling and, and pushing their own agenda, really. <laughs> um, so some of the things that you can do to add value are provide content that's super relevant or a little bit of a stretch above what those people are looking to do so that it can be a little bit aspirational. So there's certain brands like premium cars, you see, um, do a lot of that aspirational kind of content. Testimonials and product reviews, these are just the biggest thing that you can do to add trust to your brand. So if you have a testimonial or particularly things like if you've got a really good product review rating um, or a, a really good review that you've had, oh my gosh, leverage that, it's so good. Things like um, sharing some of the product or service features or un like lesser known ways of using your product or service can be really helpful in there. So it is kind of like, here's how we can help you, but not so pushy. Um, and any relevant press that you've had. So if there has been um, relevant press releases or news items or that kind of thing, then that can be some really helpful value added stuff for your customer. It should support your online and offline experiences as well. 
Um, and then from a technical perspective, what you're going to want to have, Google Analytic goals set up on your website, particularly if you are an e-commerce brand. Um, so that's very easy to do within Google Analytics. Um, it'll be things like if someone purchases add in a goal on the thank you page or if someone submits a lead, add a goal on the thank you page. So, and that's a set and forget type thing. Um, another thing that I really, uh, really advocate for using is um, Google UTM parameters. So these are little like little bits of text that get added onto your URL. When you create your email, you would add those links in. And what this gives you is the ability in Google, um, in Google Analytics, sorry, to actually review how well your email campaign is performing relative to your other media. So if you have a cross-channel, uh, multi-channel strategy, for example, and you're putting out a, a blog for, you know, www.yoursite.com forward slash blog forward slash one, if you put that out on social media, so Facebook, and then in your email as well, you'd add these UTM parameters onto the end of that link. You'd post it on Facebook, you'd post it in your email, and then in Google Analytics, you can jump in the back end and evaluate how well that performed on each of your platform, uh, each of your channels. Don't miss that step because again, it's set and forget once it's done and you have that beautiful data that you can jump in and review at any point and go, okay, this is the information that we need to use to test and tweak what's going on in our lead nurture program. Is there opportunity to leverage content that's better for this particular channel? Um, and then a, a, like I kind of was segueing into um, a process for testing and tweaking your content. So you're going to want to regularly check it, check your lead nurture program to make sure that it's actually got content that's relevant. Um, I would say every month to 60 days would feel like a good amount of time to let a lead nurture program run in order to evaluate it. I'm just going to ask this question now. I would have saved it to the end, but there's going to be a lot of small business owners out there that have just heard all of that that you've said that is amazing and is going to so help them. And they're going to be going, how in the heck am I ever going to do this myself? So there is people out there, right, that can actually help you to do this. And who is the best person to to write the email? Is it the business owner themselves or if they are going to get someone to help them to set up the automation and that Google thing that I was like, oh my goodness, I've never even heard of that before. Is there people out there, you know, I'm assuming you do this as well, that can actually help people do this. But should the business owner be writing the content or should they be hiring someone to write that content for them? I think it depends. So it depends on the um, confidence that the business writer has. Um, I'm a big fan of, like, I believe no one knows your product as well as you do. So I think that if a business owner feels confident doing that, then you know there, there are options to outsource to a copywriter. What, what I think is a, a really good happy compromise is the business owner does a brain dump and if they're not feeling like they could write marketing copy, send that brain dump off to a copywriter and just what comes back is just what you needed to come out of your head. So I think the benefits of hiring a copywriter are things like if you um, need to make sure that certain keywords are in your copy for search engine optimization, that kind of thing, that might be a skill set that the business owner might not have or writing content that's particularly tailored to um, you know, persuade and convert an audience based on what you've written. So I think there's certainly an opportunity for business owners to do it themselves, um, but there are services out there as well if they're not feeling like they have the confidence or the skill set to actually do that. But it, it would be 100% worth the business owner just doing a brain dump and seeing where that lands. I think that's a really good compromise because I'm a big believer in that you should put you into your marketing and into your wording and you know, nobody talks the way I do and I often get that 
people say, oh, when I read your stuff, it's like when I talk to you. So I know someone else can't do that. But I kind of think of it as like almost sending it off to an editor to make it sound a little better and to just put some tweaks on it and maybe, you know, move a few paragraphs around. And, you know, certainly you'd probably find from that data dump that you could actually say, well, that needs to go in email one, but that really needs to be saved for email eight. You're sort of jumping in too soon. So it would be working with someone, I suppose, is probably the way to put it. Is that what you think? Like you'd be working with them? It's collaboratively. Yeah, absolutely. And it is like ultimately the buck stops with the business owner. They're the most invested person and it's their personality. It's their time to shine. Sometimes if they need a little bit of help with editing that copy or that kind of thing, that's the copywriter's job is to write for tone for you. So it's, it's not their job to just robotically produce you know, what, whatever it is that needs to be done. It is to sit there and kind of go, what's the essence of what we need to put here? But how do we incorporate tone? How do we incorporate all, all of their skill set as well? So things like how do we make it convert? How do we make this feel authoritative or incorporate your tone, that kind of thing? So I know time's ticking on and you're giving us heaps of lots of great information, but I want to talk about email newsletters. What's their place within uh, a nurture sequence? Is it something that you should be really considering doing? You know, what are some basics with email newsletters for small business owners to understand? Um, so I think newsletters are essentially, they're a content delivery tool. So they're not necessarily designed for pushing sales. They're there more as a bit of a value add and a kind of, here's some information that's relevant to our brand, but we feel like it's also relevant to you. Um, the beauty of a newsletter though, is like I mentioned earlier, people need around that 10 touch point in order to keep your business top of mind. So what what a newsletter is doing, it's keeping you top of mind, it's keeping you in that person's inbox and, and giving you an opportunity to continue to build that trust and build that relationship without really forcing the sales. So I think newsletters are, again, I think they're a no-brainer for a business. They don't need to be overly complex you don't need to be writing eight blogs a week or um, you know feeling completely crippled by oh my gosh what am I going to include here because it doesn't just need to be blog content some of it could be things like user generated content from your socials if someone's gone hey here's this meal that I cooked from this recipe from this person hit them up ask them if you can pop that in your newsletter and share it with your share it with your subscribers you don't like it that that might be so exciting for that person so there's lots of different ways that you can include content there whether it's around the background of your business or whether you've worked with a charity recently or achieved a significant goal whether you've hired someone really cool whether you've been to a workshop you know sitting there kind of going how can i add value to these people it doesn't necessarily just need to be here's the blogs it's it's thinking laterally and going what what do we actually have in our business already do we have any white papers do we have something that we could share with these people a cool podcast that we heard you know there's there's so many different things that you can include in that in that email that helps your customer kind of go that was really cool okay cool and um, it keeps you top of mind so I myself I do a monthly newsletter some people do it weekly some people do it fortnightly some people don't do it at all but um, I think it's just a really good way of continuing to to keep you top of mind in terms of a lead nurture program so what I I kind of split marketing activity into two different things so a lead nurture program would be um, you know kind of acquisition focused type stuff we're trying to convert those people whereas I see newsletters and ongoing sales communications as more campaign based communications so newsletters for me are more of a maintenance Thing, maintaining your database, making sure that you're still actually talking to the people, the leads that you work so hard to collect and nurture, they don't just get 
pumped out the end of the lead nurture sequence and then they don't hear from you again. So newsletters are a great, a great low-hanging fruit for continuing that conversation in a really no-stress way but keeping you top of mind. And I think the point is, is just to start. You don't need to be perfect from day one. It's just getting started. Even capturing the email addresses of people would be a great start. And then you can always catch up with it a bit later. What are the biggest mistakes that you see small business owners make when they're working with nurturing sequences? What's what's the big don't do's? Really good question. I would say the biggest one, and it's the obvious one, is if you aren't nurturing a lead, your competitor probably is. You know, people's attention spans are quite short. It's keeping yourself top of mind. I would say another another one might be delaying contact. Um, you should strike while the iron's hot, which is when they've originally, you know, submitted their lead or ad, ad, admitted that they'd like to have contact with you and your brand. And the quickest way to do that is set up an automated email, uh, set up an automated welcome email. So even if you haven't got your full lead nurture sequence running, if you're not ready for that, just set up a welcome email. And all you need in your welcome email are things like, hey, this is my brand. This is how frequently you'll hear from us. If you want to get in touch, this is how. Keep it simple. I would say um, another one is not necessarily being strategic about sending emails. So feeling feeling that pressure to just send an email because you're expected to. You know, things like, like I mentioned with the newsletter, there's so many low-hanging fruits that you can kind of tag into, your, into a newsletter. Set up if you want to do it six times a year. Easy done, at least you've committed to something of some kind of frequency and I'm sure you can put together some content around around that. Um, but just don't send an email just for the sake of feeling like, oh gosh, I haven't spoken to my database in a little while. It's time for me to time for me to send something out. Just have a have a little think. Don't put too much pressure on yourself, but send something out that's that's meaningful. And off the back of that, it's going too hard with a sales push. You know, there are circumstances when you should go hard with a sales push. If the only time that your um, customer is hearing for you from you is when you're doing the ah gosh it's time to you know carts closing carts closing there they're just gonna burn out like don't don't push too hard another one and this is a personal oh gosh it drives me mad clickbaiting in a subject line don't do it so what you're gonna do is yes you're probably gonna shoot the lights out with your open rate for that email and then your customer's gonna go you're the boy who cried wolf that was not as exciting as your subject line made to me and your open rates and your click-through rates after that are going to plateau. So yes, you might get an initial spike and you may go, oh my gosh, I'm the king. I'm, I'm the best. I'm so fancy. Look at my open rates. No, it's not going to stick around. Don't do that. <laughs> Another one is not cleaning up your database. Some databases you actually end up paying for contacts that um, no longer subscribed to you. So what might have happened is you might have had contacts that have bounced that have unsubscribed, but they're still sitting in your database as a contact that you're paying for. So there's lots of different ways that you can kind of work around that, whether it's regular database cleaning, just to make sure that you're not paying too much for contacts that you can't really contact. Another option is actually pulling those contacts out and hitting them with a Facebook ad and just seeing if you can get some cut through there to see if those email addresses aren't completely dead because, you know, they might have hard bounced or soft bounced from your emails too many times that now your email database provider is not going to talk to them anymore. But it might have just been a temporary bounce that's that's kind of stopped those emails from getting through. So I would say a very, very last ditch attempt before you delete them is seeing if you can talk to them on Facebook. Um, if they have unsubscribed though, don't. But do that for your soft bounces and your hard bounces. See what happens. But, but yeah, clean them out. Get rid of them. If they're not doing anything and you're just paying for them, get rid of them. 
Man, you have given us so much information today. Tell us a little bit about what you do when you're working with a customer. Who are your sort of ideal leads? Because I'm assuming that you take care of a lot of this stuff for people. So tell us a little bit about how you work with a customer. So I founded Lanham Digital uh, only a couple of months ago. So I'm um, fairly new. I've always been client side before. Um, so I've actually really found this really exciting being able to work with with people who have such different databases and that kind of thing um, and different softwares and different goals. So I'm very, very flexible and I kind of go in with my customers to work out exactly what they need and the best way to leverage the software that they currently have, as well as if they there are gaps in what they've got in their tech stack, then I could potentially point them in the direction of something that might be better fit for them. But most of my clients are one person operators, two people operators, small businesses, which is totally my passion because I love this stuff and I know I can help people and the people who need the help the most are those small businesses they're spread so thin that having something like a CRM and a database and an email need nurture program that is their virtual PA is so valuable to them because they buy back time so what what I can do is anything from writing copy for these emails building the emails, building the automations, proposing a schema for your database, which is the way that all your data talks to each other. Anything CRM or email related is totally my bag. I, I love it and it gets me really excited working with that with customers and seeing the benefit that they get from that. So where's the best place for us to find you? So my website is Lanham Digital, um, which is L-A-N for nose, H-A-M for Mary, digital.com. And then I've same uh, Lanham Digital on Facebook and Instagram as well. And I, of course, as per usual, will always put all of those links into the show notes for everyone. Thank you so much for today, Terry. This, oh my gosh, we're going to unpack all of that information you've given us. It's um, There's certainly, I think, a few people will need to be go back and listen to this with notepad and pen and take lots of notes um certainly given me a good kick up the butt to say i need to get better at my my email database and uh maybe it needs a bit of a time for a clean up and a reorganize of it so thank you for joining us i love your passion i love that you've geeked out about this it's always fun to talk to someone who really knows their stuff and i think that we've probably just scratched the surface with amount of information you have on this but Wow, that surface was a lot of information. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. That was really cool. Thank you. Did you know that nine out of every 10 business owners complain that they simply don't have enough time? I believe that not having enough time is one of the greatest excuses that holds small business owners back from their true potential and the profits they deserve. We've all been taught our entire lives that being in business means working around the clock to achieve success because business is supposed to be hard, right? I believe business should be simple and this is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Time. I want to show you how to take control back on your time, how to think about time differently and all with simple strategies that take no time to implement so that you then have the time to create the success you desire and the best part is... The program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.tracyleek.com slash time and we can get started right now.